0: Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis.
1: Listen to you move your mouth, I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess, you're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff, I swear I can't get it.
0: Welcome to Talk Money
2: on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Good morning and welcome to Talk Money here on AM 990. I am not Jim Shoemaker. I'm Keith Quinn standing in for Jim. Jim is the hardest working man in show business and actually uh, is at an awards dinner this morning. There is an award being given out this morning uh, for the best CFO uh, and our own Margie McClung has been nominated as the best CFO uh, for a company, a private company with less than $50 million in annual revenue. Margie is a phenomenal CFO. We are so lucky to have her. We wish her all the best this morning and certainly hope uh, that she comes out to be the winner. We have a fantastic show for you today. I have Frank Allen and Terry Hurt in the studio. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Frank, Terry, I know we're going to be talking about preparing for the unexpected. We're going to be talking about the impact of the markets during an election year. You know, obviously, we've put in the last debate, so we know a little bit more than we knew a few weeks ago going forward. You know, how this impacts us as investors, how we think about that. So I would encourage everybody to stick around. We'll be talking about that at 815 and then a little later talking a little bit more about how we think about financial planning, preparing for the unexpected. You know, I'll give us just a quick rundown of some of the things I see, Frank, and looking out at the economy. Uh, You know, it's been the same story. Growth but slow growth. You know, GDP growth hasn't really been there. There's been this concern all year long about what the Federal Reserve is going to do. When is the Federal Reserve going to raise interest rates? Uh, We've said often that we don't think it's anytime soon as of last Friday. The market was predicting that there was a 7% chance that the Fed will raise rates in November, November 2nd. Uh, I think that is absurdly high. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see them raising more rates one week before the election. Can you? I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think there's much chance of that. But the market also gives it a 68% chance that they will raise rates in December. That would be at the meeting at December 14th. And I would say that assuming that the economic numbers – Stay where they are. Not good numbers, but better numbers that we could potentially see a rate hike
1: coming up in December. Well, and who knows whether that's going to happen or not. They sure have been talking about it for a while. So, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of on pins and needles about that and about the election and a lot of different things.
2: I think that's great points, and that's exactly right. You know, we always talk about the market hates uncertainty. Uncertainty drives a lot of this volatility. But I would encourage everyone, when we're thinking about the Federal Reserve and we're thinking about raising interest rates, we're talking about a potential rate increase of one quarter of 1%, 25 basis points. This is not a huge move, and that's just in the overnight lending rate. So we get caught up in these headlines
1: that make it sound like it's an Armageddon-type event, and it just isn't. Right. I mean, even uh, even when they talk about... Interest right, rates. right. seems like the market seems to move and get nervous, not, not even actually implementing anything, even though it might be a very, very, very small increase. You know, even when they talk about it, some, you know, a lot of things happen. The, the markets get rattled.
2: Absolutely. The infamous taper tantrum several years ago, this pre Janet Yellen, when Chairman Bernanke came out and just hinted at the fact that they made uh, made raise rates and the market went a little bit crazy in the short term. And that's what we try to focus on. And, you know, when we're thinking about investing and I know Frank and Terry, you both do a great job of this and counseling your clients, clients thinking about investing in the terms of financial planning. We focus on that long term. We just don't get caught up in the in the short term noise. Well,
3: well, I think it's important to really uh, filter through some of the stuff that's coming through the media because you have to really uh, peel away at the onion and figure out what they're really saying.
2: I think that's a great point, and I couldn't agree more. You know, you see some of these headlines and you think, wow, you know, that really is bad. You know, my favorite from this year, and I know you guys have both heard me mention it, and I may have mentioned it on the radio, but the article on Yahoo Finance, this is the scariest day for investors in 17 years. You look at that and you think, oh, my gosh. And if you just skim down to the bottom, the end of the article, it said, be afraid, be very afraid. Uh, But then what were we afraid of? We're afraid of the fact that the Dow Jones, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ, which measures tech stocks, all set a new high on the same day. And, oh, my gosh, here comes the scary part. The last time that happened was in December of 2009. And now I wish I had that little sound effect thing because we need some ghost noises, some woo (laughs) Yeah, so right, that. Spooky. Uh, Except that now is nothing like 2009. When we looked at the price-to-earnings ratios on the tech stocks, the median was about 500 in 1999. doesn't take a genius to spot the uh, bubble there, and it's just nowhere near that now. So, you know, focusing on the fundamentals.
1: Right. And certainly at that time, there were some cash issues, some leverage issues, which don't exist today. I think there's as much money on the corporate balance sheets today than has been in a long, long time. So we certainly don't have the same debt issue and, and leverage issues that we had back then.
2: Which also applies equally to 2007 and 2008, the start of the Great Recession. We just don't have the balance sheet problems that we had back then. But I think clients miss that when they get caught up in listening to these headlines.
3: Well, I think also clients perceive a rate hike as a negative thing. And really, it's... It's confidence in our economy,
2: right? Ultimately, that is driving that rate hike.
3: But most people, fundamentally, I think, don't understand that. They view it as a negative.
2: I think that's exactly right. And again, getting caught up in the headlines and not thinking about what does a rate hike mean. Well, the Fed has kind of a dual mandate. They want to work on two fronts, right? They want to see a healthy level of inflation, which they think is about 2%. And, you know, we think about inflation, and sometimes that is, gets to be a, a kind of a four-letter word. But inflation in wages is great. People have more money to spend. So we want to see that healthy level of inflation. And the other thing the Fed focuses on is employment. You know, the last employment report wasn't that great. excuse me, added 156,000 non-farm payroll jobs. Really would like to see that number over two. But it's that same story. We're growing, just not growing fast enough. And as you said, Terry, when the Fed does begin to raise rates, it's showing that they have that confidence in the economic growth that they have to start worrying about growth picking up too much and the economy overheating. So they're kind of in a tough spot. But it is something, I think, that is not that well understood by investors.
1: Right. And as low as our rates are, I think we're still higher than some other countries uh, out there. Um, So, I mean, who who knows, again, where that's going to go. But there are some, they've been talking about negative interest rates and some other countries.
2: Absolutely. We have a 10-year Treasury that's paying, I think, about 170 right now. But then you go to Japan or you go to some of the countries in Europe or the European Central Bank with negative interest rates. Uh, yeah, we look really good compared to a negative interest rate. <laughs> uh, pretty pretty low bar. But, yeah, compared to some of the other countries in the world, we definitely look a lot better, definitely a lot stronger. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn here in for Jim Shoemaker. Uh, we have got a great show for you today on Talk Money. We're going to be talking about the financial markets, What impact an election year has on that, and then how do we prepare for the unexpected because we're always going to be faced with some uncertainty. I am here with Frank Allen and Terry Hurt. Stick around, and we will be right back.
4: Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, Frank Allen, and Terry Hurt are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor your Financial is independently owned and operated.
0: Helping you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Bailey Law Firm knows we are all aging. As we age, our concerns and needs change. An updated estate plan will give you peace of mind regarding your family and future. Your will is about your wishes and not always about your wealth. What are your wishes? Please call the Bailey Law Firm at 843-2760 or visit them at thebaileylawfirm.com. Today is the year youngest you will ever be. Let the Bailey Law Firm help you. The Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate. It's what they do. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan, and you are under no obligation to follow, helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Good morning, and welcome back to Talk Money. I'm Keith Quinn, standing in for Jim Shoemaker Here with Frank Allen and Terry Hurt, we're talking a little bit about some of the volatility associated with the markets during election years. And then later, we're going to talk a little bit about planning and what can you do for the unexpected. Terry, I want to start with you. You are no stranger to volatility when we talk about volatility in the stock markets. In fact, I'm sure a lot of folks don't realize that 29 years ago this week, we had kind of a volatile event in the markets. Uh, Some uh, have affectionately named it Black Monday. Uh, but tell us where you were and what you saw on that day—one of the most volatile days in history.
3: Well, I was uh, on assignment at Drexel Burnham Lambert, and actually on the trading floor in '87 when that happened.
2: On the trading floor when it just fell through the floor, right? And and they they took it in stride, thought it was no big deal.
3: Not exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: there were a lot of pan. There was a lot of panic. Uh, a lot of people just you know, clients blowing up, relationships blowing up because people were losing a lot of money.
2: And thought that, you know, they had to get their money out or they weren't going to get their money back. Right. And that comes back to, you know, Frank, we talk about this a lot, you know, that the, the volatility is somewhat inherent in the stock market. Well, it's not somewhat, it's totally inherent. Uh, but, you know, coming back to those truths, did the market drop on that day? Uh, it absolutely yes. dropped. It dropped 20 and a half percent. Did the market come back to make bu- up those losses?
3: It absolutely yes. did.
2: Uh, did the market go on to set a new high? It sure did. It did. Not only did it go on to set a new high, it set a new high that year. The S&P ended up gaining 5.3% total return in that year after a drop of 20% in a single day. There's not many things that can just totally spook the stock market off that
1: upward trajectory. Yes, it's the, the stock market is not for the weak in heart.
2: Not for the weak-willed. Yeah. It is not. And, and again, we've got some more numbers we're going to look at coming up that would tell us that, that, you know, that is the price we pay to get those good long-term returns associated with stocks that give us income that outpaces inflation, and we think about that in the context of retirement. Terry, back to what we were talking about, back to looking at how the financial markets react during an election year. So tell us a little bit, how have the markets performed during election years, during the, the year of a presidential election?
3: Well, I think you always have some volatility in the markets because there's some uncertainty and people don't like uncertainty. But I think overall they perform very well. I mean, I don't think we've seen uh, anything stick for very long. And I believe the performance during those election years has fared pretty well.
2: I think that's a great point. And I think, you know, this time, and and Frankie, tell me if you're hearing this from your clients. uh, Certainly, as I deal with clients and and talk to people, there seems to be a little more fear this election cycle than there has been in the past. And by fear, I mean the the fear of the the unknowns. Uh, Would you agree with that? Is that what
1: you're hearing? It is what I'm hearing. I think the extremes are greater here. uh, And some, you know, I think there's just not... Uh, Really knowing what to expect and some unpredictability that you typically don't see maybe in an election and, uh, you know, some some volatility, as it were, you know, uh, right in in the debates and in in terms of the extremes in terms of positions taken. And so there's a a lot um, that's happening in this election that we typically haven't seen in the past.
2: I I couldn't agree more. And I think we're seeing that, you know, as far as we just don't even have a good feel for, you know, which party's going to maintain or have control of the Senate, who's going to have control of the House. You know, we were uh, doing a training session the other day and I was talking to some of the newer advisors about the potential impacts of this. And, and, you know, I said, I haven't really spent a whole lot of time studying either candidate's tax plan. Uh, Because I don't really think either one of those are going to be the plans that whoever is president ultimately presents to Congress. And I I think that's the the worst thing about this election is we've spent no time talking about issues. Uh, We've talked about things that absolutely matter not to the long-term welfare of this country. So, Terry, looking at that, who is better for us uh, in the stock market? Is it better? Is it going to be better for the market if Donald Trump wins? Or is it going to be better for the market if Secretary Clinton becomes president of the United States? Well,
3: the truth is, is it doesn't really matter. The markets are going to do what they're going to do. And if you look at history, history tells us that the patterns are basically the same regardless of who's in office.
2: That the patterns are the same. And that's a lot of what we talk about. Things are cyclical. Uh, you know, we look at the cyclical investing, you know, which year of the presidential cycle has the better returns. Uh, and it's hard to tell. Depending on which time period you look at, those could be totally different. Right. So when we think about that and we look at who has done the best, who is there a number that we can point to that this person has done better for the for the market than the other one as far as parties?
3: Uh not not really. If you look at the history, I mean it's it's pretty balanced and there were only uh two I believe presidential terms where the market was in a negative uh if you look back over a period of, you know, 45 elections. And so, you know, when you take that data, you say, well, what what was affecting those two presidential terms that caused the market to drop? And it it wasn't the party. It It was something going on fundamentally in the economy.
2: Exactly right. And I think, you know, Frank, we've looked at some studies that would say sometimes the market tends to do a little bit better in the third and fourth year of the first term of a presidential uh, of uh, during a presidential run, because during the first term, what does every first-term president want? Growth. Growth. Well, what what do they ultimately want? What does every first-term president want? They want to be reelected. Want? They want to be a two-term president. So in the third and fourth year, they're focusing on issues that help us all feel good. They're focusing on the economy. They're focusing on growth. But when you get into that second term, when you get into the third and fourth year, uh, when you know that you don't have another election in front of you— uh, then sometimes those are the years where we've seen some negative ter- uh, returns because presidents sometimes will focus more on legacy items than things that would necessarily make us feel good right now. Uh, for example, I don't feel too great about the Iran deal, uh, but I don't think President Obama cares what I think uh, because he is on the way out, focusing more on things that he
1: perceives to be legacy issues. Right. right. And there's some executive orders, I think, that maybe uh, have uh, been in greater quantity than in the past, but... You know, there are some things that happen and pardons tend to take place, you know, and so Absolutely. a lot of things like that. So they are thinking of, of, of ways that they can do things and they don't necessarily have to have the cooperation of of Congress, you know, to do that.
2: Right. So it's 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 less about reaching across the aisle, even though it hasn't been much about that in the last seven years uh, than it normally would be. Exactly. So when you guys, when you look at, uh, when you're counseling clients and thinking about the presidential election, what do you talk about that's the positives of this? So we know all the uncertainty. We know we have two candidates that probably have the, the highest unfavorables, and certainly we've seen that, of any election in modern memory. What's the What's the positive news that we take away from this?
3: Well, the the positive news is after the election, we can put all this behind us. So, you know, there's no more uncertainty about who's going to be elected, so people can... React how they're going to react, which typically is emotional uh, in the markets, and then we can carry on business.
2: And I think that's exactly what I would say is, you know, the thing about the election is we don't know what the rules are. So as soon as we know what the rules are, we know which party controls the House of Representatives, which party controls the Senate, who has the presidency, uh, then we can all start moving forward. I think Wall Street has voted pretty strongly with some of the the movements in the stock market, especially after some of the debates, that they would prefer uh, Secretary Clinton to win the election. Now, I think that's more because she is a known unknown and that you have more history on what her positions actually are, so there's some level of certainty with what she may or may not try to do. Uh, and I think uh, Donald Trump is a little bit more of an unknown unknown, uh, which always causes uh, people on the street to be a little bit hesitant.
1: You know, you, you, you want to be able to make you know, some plans ahead of time. You want right. to be able to kind of anticipate what's coming so that you're not zigging when, when the economy or the legislation is zagging. You, you want to try to anticipate that up front. And that's been, it is a little more difficult with uh, with Donald Trump.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, if we were thinking about planning and planning for the long term, one of the biggest things that I know you guys deal with with clients that we deal with as a firm uh, are the tax implications of different investment strategies. Well, we have no idea where the tax code is going to go. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that, that Bob Dahl, who's come on the show a lot, talked about recently when we had him on and we were talking about the, the growth not being where we want it to be in this country with GDP growth at 1.4%. And Bob had said that if we just did a little bit of regulatory reform, just reformed the corporate tax code, not maybe all the way down to 15 to percent, but reformed it somewhat, we could add at least a percentage point to GDP growth. So basically doubling our GDP growth by just a few common sense reforms yeah. uh, in Congress. And wouldn't that be great to see if we could actually, you know, come to agreement on a few things?
3: It would be great to see Washington get anything done at this point.
2: I think people would be shocked. <laughs> <laughs>
1: any agreement or any-, any
2: agreement of any kind. And, you know, that's been part of the problem we've had in the economy over the last seven or eight years. Really, the only game in town has been the Fed, has been monetary policy because they're not beholden to Congress. They can enact this policy without having to get anything approved through a divided Congress. But we just haven't made any progress on the fiscal side of the equation. And that's going to require Congress to take some hard looks at some of the spending. You know, one of the things I know that we get a lot of questions about are the the national debt You know, at 19 point almost, I think maybe 0.6 trillion now, but just a huge national debt issue running deficits that are higher than ever. I think the deficit this year is going to be back up close to 600 billion, starting to tick back up. And especially when you start looking at some of the costs associated with the Affordable Care Act going forward, we've got a lot of real serious issues. uh, And we just need to have someone that can lead Congress in addressing some of these. And I think, you know, we
1: pray that we do uh, no matter who wins. and, And that would be a good thing for all of us. Well, I think the cost, the rising cost of health care has been and will continue to be a major issue going forward. It's something that we still haven't figured out. We do have a quote-unquote solution out there or something new that's been tried, but it doesn't appear to be working in all aspects of of our economy. And so rising health care costs and trying to make sure that everybody has insurance that's affordable – Uh, I mean, I've heard increases of 40 and 50% coming for this year, and I've heard, you know, of insurers just pulling out of this altogether because they're losing uh, so much money. And so that's going to be – that's still something that we haven't figured out yet.
2: I think that's a huge issue, and I – you know, it's one of those things that I really don't know the answer. Uh, But, you know, I see the numbers just like you do, and absolutely, premiums exploding – More and more states, I think there are five or six states now who only have one provider offering an option in that state. You know, this is not how this was uh, uh, billed to us when it was sold to the American people, is if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. Nothing has been farther from the truth. And it's such a complicated part of the economy uh, that at this point I'm not even sure if repeal and replace is the right thing to do. Uh, You know, you can't take away insurance from people who've gotten insurance under the Affordable Care Act we all want everyone to have low access to low cost insurance
1: uh, i just don't know that we can agree on what we do to get to the low cost part of that equation well later in the in the segment here we're going to talk about financial planning and stuff so, but it, this issue affects financial planning in a big way and and it can determine when someone retires because Absolutely. they're looking at well how much are my health care costs going to go up how much is my health insurance premium going to go up if i if I retire today on a very uh, affordable uh, cost to and, and I have to bridge to Medicare, you right. know, what is that you know, cost going to be? And so it's, it's a major issue affecting a lot of clients.
2: That's a great point. Stick around. We will be talking about that issue and others. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Terry, so what do we do with all of this uncertainty? Now that we have all the uncertainty, we've identified the problem, what's the solution? So stick around to hear that. Uh, I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker. You can always listen to us online at AM 990. Go onto the Internet uh, and click onto kwam990.com, our webpage. Click on Watch and Listen Live, listen to us that way, or go on to Podbean. Search for a recorded show, and you can certainly listen to us that way as well. Stick around, and we will be right back with Talk Money.
4: Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this
0: information should not be considered as such. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search for Shoemaker Financial. Talk Money will return after this.
4: Talk Money is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate, planning for all generations.
0: If you have financial questions that you would like answered on the program, email them to shoemakerfinancial.com. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker.
2: Good morning, and welcome back to Talk Money here on AEM 990, the voice of Memphis. This segment of Talk Money is brought to you by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate, planning for all generations. I'm Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker, here with Frank Allen and Terry Hurt. We were talking a little bit about the uncertainty caused by the presidential election this year, which seems to be a little bit more than we normally go through during an election cycle. So, Terry, talk to us a little bit about what you're hearing from clients and what this uncertainty is causing them to think.
3: Well, there's definitely a lot of angst going on. People are nervous. Uh, The uncertainty of the election has really... uh, caused people to stay in cash rather than invest their money at this point in time, maybe waiting until after the election. Uh, Also looking at the fact that we've been in an upward direction on the stock market for quite a long time now. Uh, People are speculating that, you know, recession is imminent. And for those reasons, sitting in a lot of cash
2: just because the, the recession is imminent. Well, I can promise you one thing, and I rarely issue guarantees, but I will guarantee you that we are one day closer to a recession. Uh, mm-hmm. Because a recession is inevitable, just like we are one day closer to a bear market. So what do you tell these people, Terry, when they come to you and they're, they're too scared about the volatility to put money to work, that they want to sit in cash?
3: Well, I remind them about history and what history tells us about the market. And 2008 is a great example. I mean, we lost a lot of money in the market. Market dropped substantially in 2008, really because of a fundamental banking issue. And by 2009, 2010, it was back. And it was back strong. And people who had stayed in the market fared well. People who got out in a panic did not. And they're still not making up those returns. (laughs) I think
2: that is a great point. Frank, it's something that we counsel people all the time. There's one study where we look back and we look at the return of the S&P 500. uh, And I'll just uh, tell everybody, just uh, again, as a kind of a nod to the compliance gods, the S&P 500, which you talk about a lot, that's an unmanaged composite index considered to be representative of the U.S. stock market in general. But an index returns, if you don't look at total return, does exclude dividends and interest. And past performance is absolutely No guarantee of future results. And plus, indexes are unmanaged and cannot be uh, directly invested into. So, in other words, I cannot go out and buy the S&P 500. But that's what you're talking about, Terry, that dropped an awful lot. 57% from peak to trough uh, from 2007 to 2009. But looking back over the last 20 years, if you just stayed invested in the S&P, Frank – An average annual return of 8.1%, 8.2%. Not bad. That's not bad for the last 20 years. But if you miss 10, 10 of those days, as Terry was saying, because something triggered you to get out of the market, your return went from an 8% return, 8.2, down to a 4.5. Almost cut it in half by missing 10 days. 10 days out of the markets, guys. If you miss 20... Now you're down to 2%, 2.06 uh, rather than 8.2. Now you've given away 6 percentage points of annual average annual return by missing the 20 best days in the market. And the kicker is that the best days are usually very close to the worst days. Right. So staying invested, staying for the long term
1: really works over time. Well, and over time, and as Terry said, the market has been growing, growing, growing. And it's actually been growing for the last 87 months And that's been exceeded in length only three times since 1900. So that there are a lot of people thinking about, okay, well, it's it's continuing to go up. There's been no recession for these 87 months. So when is it going to drop? When are we going to have that recession? So, but there's just there's there's a lot said about market timing. I mean, and that's why they say that the average investor return is probably what half. Of the S&P 500 over that same period. of Absolutely. time, Or less. Right. And that's because of people doing what you're talking about and telling them not to do. They're going in, they're going out, they're going in, they're going out. And so instead of, you know, buying low and selling high, it turns out to be sometimes the other way around. And so that's so significant. It can so significant, significantly affect your return.
2: Absolutely can. And and Frank, let's use that to transition a little bit into talking about financial planning. So a lot of people, when they're thinking about a financial plan, they think about that that's the goal is to earn a specific
1: rate of return. Is that what a financial plan is? Well, it really isn't. But it, you're right. A lot of people do think, uh, you know, OK, when you talk about, well, I do financial planning and say, well, yeah, I need an investment advisor. I need to help with the market. And it's like, well, no, it's not just a plan to make money. It's a plan to spend money. It's a plan to allocate money There's There's so many different you know, aspects of that. But, you know, that we're, we're looking at um, just being able to help people understand, well, are you on track to achieve your goals? Because a lot of people do very good things with their money. They invest in the 401K or do different things. But then when you ask them, well, are you on track to hit your goals, if they've never had a financial plan prepared for them, right. then you just kind of get the blank looks or the you know scratching the head. and like, Well, I'm not really sure.
2: So I can't come to you and let you plan to get me a 15% average I, annual return?
1: Because if I can, I'm, I'm going to be in your office no, this afternoon. I can't <laughs> promise that. Nor okay. will I ever. But, uh, you know, a plan is is just related to, it 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 addresses a lot more than just investments. Right. Um, You know, just so much more. And let's
2: dig a little bit deeper on that, uh, Frank, when we come back. But first, let's take a quick break. Go to Rebecca Brazier for the Mid-South History Moment. If you're just joining us, I'm Keith Quinn. In for Jim Shoebaker here on KWAM 990, the voice of Memphis.
4: This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping
0: you make the most of your money, Talk Money will return right after this. Talk Money, as you know, is brought to you in part by the Bailey Law Firm, estate planning, elder law, and probate planning for all generations. And I want to thank them. They're one of our key players in what we do and the fact that they're able to help you Move through a lot of those questions that you have when it comes to setting down and planning for retirement or working through your estate. It's all about elder law. The Mac Bailey Law Firm, Mac Bailey and his team, spends a lot of time with you, answers a lot of questions, and we're proud to have them as one of our sponsors.
5: There are many great moments in the career of Senator Kenneth McKellar. He was the first senator from Tennessee to complete more than three terms, having served from 1917 to 1953 and held the position of President Pro Tem of the Senate under the current system in Congress during the Truman administration. With two economic landmarks named in his honor, Lake McKellar next to the Memphis Industrial District on President's Island, and McKellar Airport in Jackson, Tennessee, it comes as no surprise that the senator was an early supporter of the creation of the Tennessee Valley Authority during the New Deal era. Despite the initial support, McKellar's relationship with the TVA grew strained over time as Tennessee landowners felt they were not properly reimbursed for property acquired by the TVA. McKellar, who served as chairman of the Powerful Appropriations Committee, intervened on the landowner's behalf. He knew that the Uranium Enrichment Program for the Manhattan Project, which created the atomic bomb, was heavily dependent on the electricity produced by the TVA and threatened to defund the program until the TVA fully reimbursed the landowners. After President Roosevelt's death, his successor, Harry Truman, did not appoint a vice president, which placed McKellar next in line to become president until the law was changed in 1947. After running for a seventh Senate term, McKellar lost to Albert Gore Sr. in 1952. A longtime ally of E.H. Crump, McKellar's defeat in the senatorial race, coupled with the victory of an anti-Crump progressive candidate in the gubernatorial election, marked the end of an era in Tennessee public life. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial
0: you're listening to talk money with jim shoemaker be sure to like us on facebook just search for shoemaker financial and now once again here's your host for talk money jim shoemaker (laughs)
2: Good morning and welcome back to Talk Money here on AM 990. I am Keith Quinn, in for Jim Shoemaker, and as usual, I'm falling a little bit short. Jim would have already made this announcement, but I'll make it now before it's too late. Uh, on Wednesday, October 26th, we are having two events at the firm. We're having a breakfast at 7.30 with a presentation at 8 or lunch at 11.30 with a presentation at at 12, I am going to be discussing in a little bit more detail how the 2016 elections could potentially affect your investments. If you would like to attend any one of the, either one of those sessions, again, that's a breakfast and a, a lunch on October 26th, please reach out to Jenny at our firm at 901-757-5757, and she'd be happy to get you on the list. Frank, we're talking about financial planning. We talked about the fact that it's not a rate of return, that unfortunately you're not going to be able to plan to get me 15% average annual. So what is the important thing when you think about a plan and when you're talking about this with your clients? You mentioned goals. Talk about what you're really trying to accomplish with a financial plan.
1: Well, we look at six different areas of your life, and current financial position, protection planning, investment planning, tax planning, retirement planning and then estate planning so we take a look at every one of those areas and and we look at three different scenarios we look at someone dying prematurely we look at someone who p- could possibly have a, a disability a long-term disability and what impact that would have and then we also look at both spouses living a, a good long normal quote unquote normal of retirement life
2: right so you're you're projecting out all the different scenarios, issues that they're potentially going to have to deal with. Now, are you thinking about things? So when you sit down with someone for a financial plan, you're not necessarily thinking,
1: you know, we've got a plan for this over the next 12 months. I mean, you're thinking long term. It's definitely long term. And that's one of the assumptions is a, like a mortality age. We, we have a, a default assumption, but that that can be adjusted based upon a person's health, based upon a person's DNA and their you know their predecessors you know how, how long did their parents live and how long did their grandparents live and so you know because that can uh, when, when you 're looking at a plan for how long will your money last if it if it has to last twenty years that 's one thing if it has to last thirty or forty years that 's another so you know uh, not that we 're not trying to play God we don 't know when people are going to pass, but we have to make some assumptions to come up with you know the these uh, results.
2: Uh, absolutely. And I think none of us would argue that people are living longer, uh, you know, are experiencing more of a retirement and less and less people as they retire have pension income to fall back on. So I think that's just a, an incredibly important thing. And as we mentioned I know that uh, you know we've we've seen uh, the taxes are are a huge impact, and we were looking some uh, at some numbers this morning about the last time we actually had comprehensive tax reg- uh, regulation Oops. changes. Yes,
1: thirty years ago. Thirty uh, years ago, the Tax Reform Act of eighty six was enacted uh, ten twenty two of eighty six. So, thirty years ago, this week. So, and that was signed into law by um, President Reagan. President Reagan, and that actually, we uh, simplified the code, and it went away from a lot of the different uh, tax rates down to, I think, how many was three. it? Three. Three, okay. Moved it down to three. So and the top marginal rate at that time was lowered from 50% to 28%, while the lowest marginal rate was increased from zero to 15%. Zero to 15 So we just made it fairer, for lack of a better word, more right. across the board. Right, right. So it was, uh, you know, and there has been change since then, but, you know, I guess it hasn't been considered major, you know, changes. But uh, c- certainly that's a, a time that we look back on and say, okay, that w- that was a big change because I think our tax rate was one of the highest.
2: Absolutely. And, again, mm-hmm. that's one of those things that there seems to be some Consensus in Congress, at least when people talk about it individually, Uh, if we could get a president in who would unite Congress and get some of this done, that would be a huge stimulus package if we could cut some of the tax rates that impede growth. Right. I know one of the other things, Frank, we were talking about in the break is, is some of the concerns that your clients have, and it's when they're thinking about a recession. So talk to us a little bit about how that would factor in to financial planning.
1: Yes, you know, we talked earlier about market timing and and people wanting to hold cash for a little bit just to, to wait and see when there is going to be a big drop in the market. But I think a lot of people um, – also relate to their own specific timing in terms of, well, am I close to retirement? Is it two or three years before I'm going to retire? And so, uh, you know, what we call sequence of returns can make a huge difference in a person's retirement plan and how long their money will last. So if you if the market goes down, it's probably the single worst thing that could happen to a person's investment portfolio after they retire is if the market takes an immediate drop. An immediate drop, right. An immediate drop. And then the the market, like you said before, in the past has come back. Right. You know, what goes down must, you know, it comes back up to, uh, at least historically. So, but you, um, you know, the timing of when it goes down and to further compound that situation is if you're having to take withdrawals at that time. In other words, if you're if the market goes down appreciably in the year you retire, but you don't have to access that money then because you're living on a pension or social or whatever. Right, right. Well, then you don't have you know, you don't suffer as much as if you have to sell low and take some of that money out. So some of that money never comes back, just never has a chance to, to recover.
2: Absolutely. I think that's a great point. You know, we talked before about 2008, and that's a good example of some of this. You know, if you had all of your money. Invested in the S and P 500, and all of a sudden, you know, you've saved your entire life, and let's say you have a million dollars built up, and you wake up on March 9th of 2009, and that's worth 430 thousand, and you've just entered retirement, and you're still taking off the same percentage off the 430 thousand that you were taking off the million. uh, It can ruin you in a hurry.
1: Right. Well, there and there's that withdrawal rate that we talk about a lot and there've been so many studies about well what's the right amount of money that you can withdraw per year is stated as a percentage per year that will give you a high probability that you won't run out of money and so that there've been you know that that number tends to be dropping in the in the more recent studies that we've seen it's gone from say 4% to 3% to 2.8 you know different numbers right. so that that can be scary to think okay well i can only take out a certain amount or 3 or 4% of my my portfolio in a given year, in order to have a really good probability that the money will last for my lifetime, but again uh, l- length of life has an impact on that obviously and so I, and the market does as well I think it
2: totally does. you know we
1: used to talk about uh,
2: longevity as longevity risk, and I think now we all just realize it is longevity we are living longer. It was interesting. I was doing a review yesterday with, uh, with one of my clients, and we were talking about, you know, the rate of return they'd had over the last 12 months. And it was about, you know, 5%. We were saying, you know, this is great, 5%. And we just kind of started laughing and said, we're really, we're excited about a 5% rate of return. Right. Well, you know, when we think back to the old days when, when money markets were paying 10% to do
1: nothing, uh, it's, a, it's a different world we live in. Well, we certainly have adjusted our, our expected annual rate of return in our long-term plans. To try to be more conservative, but it used. I remember, uh, you know, when we used to use double-digit rates of return, (laughs) right? And that was appropriate. Yeah, and that was appropriate. That was. But anyway, uh, it's it's an interesting thing that has to be reevaluated all the time. And you want to be conservative because the worst thing that could happen is if you overestimate that and and you. You tell a client they can either retire early or they don't need to put any more money in, in an investment or, or something like that. Then, you know, it just it adds to the risk, um, you know, when you, when you have assumed a, a, a rate of return that turns out to be too aggressive.
2: I think that's a, a great point and something that we really need to emphasize that, you know, we want to plan for the worst and hope for the best yes. uh, and hope it works out. But by planning for the worst, then you take a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of that risk off the table. And I think uh, Terry mentioned it earlier, you know, and again, looking back at some of the numbers from 2009, and you were talking about, Frank, that an investor that's entering retirement would probably have a different portfolio as far as a different allocation than someone that's got, you know, 20 years that they're trying to build up this money. So what would that mean in the context of planning?
1: Well, in terms of the, the, uh, the mix that you have, when you have an investment and maybe during your accumulation phase, you might be say, willing to take more risk and maybe you have 70 or 80 percent of your investments in stocks, let's say. Right. uh, And then the rest in bonds. Well, then you as you approach retirement, you may, you know, maybe reverse that. Maybe say, well, maybe now I only want, you know, 30 or 40 percent in stocks and a lot more in bonds and and obviously some in cash. So you want to make sure that you. And we look at the bucket strategy you know, right. when we do retirement planning as well, just to make sure that the money that you need in the short term is, it has the least amount of risk to it, that you're not you know, having to worry about whether you have to sell low right. to access that money.
2: I think that's a great point, and it's one of those things, again, what does that actually mean? So we look back at, uh, again, going to 2009, from the absolute market bottom, the bottom of the market March 9th of 2009, if you were just invested in the S&P 500, U.S. large cap stocks, it took you three years, three years to make up that loss that you experienced over 18 months, Uh, but if you were in a... More conservative portfolio, a portfolio with 40% in bonds, uh, excuse me, 40% in stocks, 60% in bonds. And these are just broad indices, not any uh, individual part of the bond market. Uh, it would have only taken you seven months to recover those losses. So that kind of planning and adjusting that plan
1: as people reach retirement is, I think, one of the, the key things that you do. It is. And it's something that you, you don't want to uh, – you, you want to spend the appropriate amount of time on it. But, you again – a financial plan looks at a whole lot more than investments. It it looks at your lifestyle. It looks at spending. You know, I, I tell uh, when my clients sit down and do a retirement plan, the closer they get to the retirement day, you know, I tell them the more critical it is that they give me a really good expense assumption. How much do you really need to spend in retirement? Maybe the kids are, are now, you know, out and married and on their own, they're off the payroll. Maybe your mortgage is paid off. I mean, a lot of things can happen that tend to you, you, you hope happens around retirement or before so that your expenses maybe are less. And so right. a, a low expense number can make a huge difference uh, for a retirement plan. And a lot of people focus on, well, how do I get my nest egg higher and higher and higher? And they don't spend the, the right amount of time uh, you know, looking at, well, how can I get my expenses uh, and live comfortably but have them as low as possible?
2: Absolutely. And I think we saw uh, we did a, a report a study a couple of weeks ago that showed in a lot of cases expenses actually go up in the first couple of years right after retirement.
1: Again, people aren't planning for that. Well, and certainly I think, again, as we said before, the rising health care costs is going to be a, a big, big deal, big deal. And, but also travel. You know, if you have more time to travel, you're you're likely going to travel more. So that typically travel and entertainment is another cost that can go up in retirement.
2: So beyond just the investments, what do you think is the is the next one of the next biggest areas of retirement when you're helping people again plan for their financial futures?
1: Well, you want to look your your tax rate probably changes some uh you want to make sure that you have adequate access to, you know, to cash either, you know, one way or the other, cash in the bank or other other access to cash. You, you want to make sure that you have your estate plans in order. You want to make sure that you have your will, your living will, you know, your powers of attorney. You want to make sure that all of these, those things are in order. And uh, you know, there are other issues that come. You don't have to worry about things like disability anymore because you're not worried about you know, losing your job. And, right, right. And, and, and because you're, you're typically on fixed income. But these days, pensions are fewer and further between. So not as many people are able to rely on a pension. It used to be twenty and thirty years ago. Uh, the pension was the primary source, or, or you know, for many people in terms of their their retirement. So you have to look at well, where's my income going to come from? What are my expenses going to be? Um, and and just take a good look. And and these days, uh, boomers when they go into retirement, many of them aren't actually looking to totally retire. They're looking. They're going to probably do something part time. They're going to spend time doing something else, not just sitting in a rocking chair
2: absolutely great points and guys i so appreciate you being on the show today i think that was some really good tips about how to think about uncertainty with the election again it's been terry hurd and then frank allen frank talking to us a little bit more about retirement planning you know who doesn't have a hard time planning for retirement who i don't think is going to have a hard time planning for retirement? Who's that? kevin chappell Made $4.5 billion on the PGA Tour this year. Have you ever
1: heard of Kevin? I have not.
2: Me either. Uh, didn't win once. <laughs> Arnold Palmer and Johnny Miller made a combined $4.6 million on the PGA Tour throughout their entire careers, but they only won 87 tournaments. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Some, something's not right about something's that. Something's
2: changed. Uh, and we are going this afternoon to honor our friend Michael Fuller, the Michael Fuller Memorial Classic. Uh, right. We hated to lose him. We lost Michael several years ago, an important part of the firm, and a good friend. Great fellow. Still missing. I want to thank everyone. Thank Frank Allen and Terry Hurt for being here today. Uh, Thank Francis Fortner, our guest coordinator, who always does a phenomenal job. John McComin, our board operator. Thank you, John. Great job, as always. Eleanor Moskovitz, uh, our production assistant, our compliance officer, who is now Jim Shoemaker. And I hope you can join us next week, where we will help you make the most of your money.
4: Jim Shoemaker, Keith Quinn, Frank Allen, and Terry Hurt are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Incorporated, securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.
0: Serving Tennessee, Mississippi, and Arkansas, the latest news stories are here. This is AM 990,
5: KWAM Memphis.